the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We are halfway through the Tuesday edition of The George Show right here on 710 KNUS from one big guest to the next. It is my pleasure to bring up on the VIP line the former CEO of DeVita. That part probably less relevant than the fact that Kent Theory has been the man behind a bunch of movements that have changed Colorado's uh, way of conducting elections, and he's got some other ideas that I don't know, sir, if they're before the title board right now or if they've made it through. Kent Theory, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me, George. It's, it's good to hear your voice. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Are, are these things through the title board already, sir? Uh, we've gotten titles on a number of versions. We're still in conversations with the title board on some others. As you know, it gets to be a pretty complex set of legal discussions and it takes some time so so far the process is going uh, going quite well and it appears that everybody's being responsible first if you would for folks that don't know talk about um, your efforts and successes previously at addressing I think some of the shortcomings you saw with the existing and probably still see with the existing structure that we have for picking candidates and electing them well First of all, I think it's just so important to remind ourselves, so that we see the evidence every day, you can become a little numb to it, that democracy is not a spectator sport. Uh, and our democracy has had to be tweaked many times over the last 250 years in order to stay effective. And we, we believe strongly that, once again, uh, the engine needs some tuning up in order to make sure that all Americans are treated fairly when it comes to the impact their ability to vote and the impact of their voting. Uh, as you recall, in 2016, we did two initiatives, one to open up primaries so that independents could participate in primaries, which in many, many instances, the primary is the general election at this point. And we also passed presidential primaries where the parties had to let their members vote. They couldn't just do a caucus or assembly. And then in 2018, we passed both federal anti-gerrymandering and state-level anti-gerrymandering in order that more districts will be competitive. Now, that's a journey, uh, and we stopped a very negative trend and have begun to work our way back, but that's another area where we still need more work. And so those are the four initiatives that we think have led to a, a much more fulsome, a much stronger Colorado democracy with higher levels of participation, particularly and I'll wrap up here in 10 seconds, since now independents are about 47% of registered voters, almost as much as all Democrats and Republicans combined. It's almost identical now that there are as many independents as there are Democrats and Republicans combined, and they deserve their voice. Uh, we're talking with Kent Theory. Um, sir, that that first one that you talked about that opened up the primaries from the parties themselves, that one has been with some controversy, mostly from within the parties. Now, you've heard far less from the Democrats about this, largely because they've been successful, I think, in, in getting their folks elected. But for Republicans, this has been a real sore spot. 
for folks who say, and I think there's some merit to this, like, well, wait a minute. If you don't want to wear the jersey, if you don't want to be on the team, why do you get to pick the team captain? And it's become such an ongoing narrative within parts of the Republican Party that there are now efforts to undo that. Talk about what you're seeing, what you guys are going through, and your thoughts on it. Sure. Well, first, as to the basic right to private association, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And so if the Republican or Democratic Party want to have a totally private meeting, they decide who gets invited, uh, they pay for the, the food and beverage, uh, then uh, that, that's totally fine. That's their right. When they then want to make a decision and claim that they have the legal right to put a name on a ballot that's a public ballot for a public election that's funded by all taxpayers, well, now you're talking about something very different. It's If you're going to have a party in your house and pay for things yourself, you do what you want. If you want to have a party in the Capitol Rotunda and have the government, all the taxpayers pay for the event, then they get to talk about who's invited. And so I believe in a party's right to have private association. But once they want to have the right to put something on a taxpayer-funded ballot form, then then the people get to have a say in that. You know, that to me is the most compelling argument for it is the idea that when you're asking the electorate, 47 percent of whom aren't wearing a jersey to foot the bill for the rest who are, they should have some opportunity to say something. Now, I know the response from the party would be, well, they can just affiliate for the day. And your point, my guess is, would be you shouldn't have to affiliate to participate in this thing. So let me ask you this before another topic. If the party could fund a primary all by itself, and I don't know what that looks like. Let's just pretend they can write a check to the Secretary of State's office. Would your opinion be different or your approach be different about allowing unaffiliateds to vote in that primary? I would would be very open to that, and it would depend on exactly what was proposed uh, because it is just so fundamental and, and one of our core conservative principles here in in the American streams of conservative thought is that taxpayers should have those equal rights, and they shouldn't have money taken from them to be used for things that they're not allowed to participate in. And so if somehow a party could come up with some way of saying that they're going to pay for stuff themselves, then uh, that deserves attention. Now, that still wouldn't make it, even though it might make it legal or constitutional, it wouldn't make it smart. 47% of Colorado citizens have made an informed decision saying, you know, I really care about democracy in most of those people's hearts and minds, but I don't like either party. And and so to somehow want to have a private party when it means that you uh, can't win a seat at the big table in the general election doesn't make any sense. I'm a firm believer in the two-party system. I want two competitive parties in Colorado to fight over ideas and fight over support with the voters. And so even if that might be legal and constitutional, man, it would be foolish if it means you got to have a private party, but it means you never won a general election. What is your sense then of this lawsuit by the party to try to kick unaffiliateds out of that primary process. I, I presume you're following this. I, I don't know how much weight the argument, well, hey, they're foot in the bill, they ought to have a say, because that matters to me. That's compelling to me. How do you think this lawsuit is going, or where do you see it ending up? Uh, always hard to predict. 
a, a legal process, and so I won't I won't try. We feel very good about our position for some of the reasons uh, that I've cited. That 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 what is what they are proposing is actually not constitutionally appropriate, and so we feel very good about those arguments. But you never want to get overconfident when you're dealing with court systems and complicated issues. Um, I do think no matter what that any party that is going to have any chance of influencing the future of our state is going to have to appeal to independents. And these independents are really wonderful citizens. This last cycle, 60%, almost 60% of independents chose a Republican ballot instead of a Democratic ballot. Two years earlier, almost 70% chose a Democratic ballot, not a Republican. Well, what a wonderful fact to stare at, that we've got these voters who are really listening, who are thinking, who are comparing candidates, who are comparing party platforms, and moving back and forth based on that competition, a good old conservative competition, the, battle, the battlefield of ideas and advocacy and different facts and different ideas. Um, and so, boy, why would we want to take something down that's working so well at giving Colorado voters voice uh, and giving the parties uh, something to aim for. Well, let's t- thank you for that. Kent Theory, who is supporting. Do you know yet how many ballot measures there will be that you guys offer now that you're through title? Uh, we don't know yet. There's still too many unknown variables. We're still going back and forth. So whether it's going to be one or more than one is not is not clear yet. Can we talk about what some of the ones you're considering are and why you think they're valuable to the process here in Colorado? Yes, and maybe I'll start with two core principles, uh, George. Yeah, Our please. first core principle please, is please. that every American voter should have the right to vote for any candidate they want, period, in these elections that they're paying for. And the second core principle is for a person to become an elected official in our government they should have to win a majority of the votes, not just a plurality, not having 33%, and that happens to be more than anyone else, but instead you have to clear a majority. And so you truly must market yourself to be able to attract the votes of a majority. So those are the two core principles. Every American voter gets to vote for whomever they want. And second, that to become an elected official, you have to earn a majority of the votes. And so what we're doing is taking three steps that will move us much further towards those principles, which an incredible percentage of Americans of all ages, races, education levels, and parties agree with, by the way. And so we're going to do three things, we hope. One is to change the way vacancy appointments work. Uh, This is where someone steps down early before their term is over, and a committee appoints their replacement Well, that sounds okay in theory, but it's been totally corrupted in process. Currently, for example, in a Democratic General Assembly, one out of every three members started with an appointment where you get that, the earned media advantage, the marketing advantage of being declared to be an incumbent, not because you won a race, but because you were appointed by a small group of party insiders. So number one is to reform that process so that people get to choose the representatives, and you don't have them selling their seats, leaving early as a way of cutting a deal to get another job. 
uh, and giving the party insiders the right to prove to pick that successor. Uh, who then has and so, all the so would that be? Would that take the form of an election, like ballots and all that other stuff? Would that be ginned up in a shorter period of time? Is that what you're talking about? We, we, we will have special elections in many instances, yeah. George, in order to give okay. the voters that that voice and take it back. The, the number two of three components is uh, has to do with caucuses. Caucuses again, maybe 80 years ago, made sense in Colorado and America. And by the way. Almost no states in America still have a caucus system like Colorado has. They've yeah. all moved on to people having to use petitions, signatures to earn a place on the ballot. And so that second component is to say, no, everybody's got to get a certain number of signatures. Uh, then the volume of signatures is incredibly reasonable. If you don't have 20 friends who are ready to work 20 hours each to stand in front of a grocery store and get some petitions signed, then you probably shouldn't be running for office anyway. Um, and so, uh, and so, what's, what's, the, what's the threshold you're talking about? It differs by office, uh, and and we're still staring at some of the numbers and taking input. For example, some people really want disabled uh, candidates to have some uh, special consideration, and so we're working on that. Uh, and so, we don't have the final numbers that we're going to propose, but they're all very reasonable when you compare them to the past and to what happens in other states. And these caucuses right now, once again, I, I hate to use the word, but they, they feel kind of dirty and corrupt because an incredibly small number of people design and engineer where they are and when they are, uh, and it's very difficult for people to try to participate if you've got kids, if you don't have extensive daycare, if you're out of town, if you have a night job then suddenly you're stripped of your basic right for equal access to the nominating process. And so caucuses are, are unfortunately something that's become controlled by very small groups of insiders in both parties, and therefore the selections don't necessarily reflect the will of the bulk of our citizens. And the third component of three... Well, one, 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 one moment, sir, if you don't mind. And I would just say this in defense of part of that, and that is... Much of what you said there is accurate, that logistically it becomes incredibly challenging when you hold these things on a Tuesday night in February or March, and then they have, you have to go to successive assemblies. That part is logistically challenging, and it's really only for those who are the most committed or have the most free time and interest to do it. That part's true. I don't find them to be dirty or corrupt. I do find them to be limiting. But what would your answer be to the idea that, yes, yes, you're, you're right, Kent, that's true, but we already have another process to access the ballot. We already have the ability to petition on and be on the ballot independent of the uh, caucus system. Yeah, that's no, a great point. The reason we don't think that is working in the real world is that the person who is chosen in an insider-managed caucus gets a lot of free marketing value from having emerged. And that marketing value, in many cases, is not deserved because, in fact, it was an incredibly small number of people who were aggressively sort of recruited to show up in favor of a particular candidate. Uh, and But then, despite the fact that the process had nothing to do with expressing the will of a significant chunk of constituents, Despite that, they pick up the equivalent of many, many, many thousands of dollars of free marketing value because the media reports on the event out of proportion to its actual significance. So 
so that's why it, it, as much as it looks like uh, it's just a second alternative process, it, it leads to a very unlevel playing field. Well, for whatever it's worth, you saw this the last election cycle, 2022. The assembly winner for the Republicans for Senate, for Secretary of State, for I think those are the two big ones. Um, they did not end up winning the nomination despite that advantage. Instead, it was uh, Joe Day uh, who won. And uh, we had a bunch of other candidates, some that went through the assembly, some that didn't. Isn't that a response to that? Well, it certainly doesn't mean when something gives you an unfair advantage, it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to win. And, and and certainly the end result shows that the people that were picked by the caucuses were not even close to being the one preferred in general by the parties. Uh, and so in a way it proves the, the other point, uh, that they're not very representative at all. Uh, but just because you're, you pick up some free marketing value, and even though it's worth thousands and thousands of dollars, that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to win. Joe O'Day and, and the other person you know, both just ran strong campaigns and earned their way to victory, showing that you can overcome the, the unlevel playing field, but it certainly isn't fair. Before we get on to that third one, because these are all important ones, there are going to be those that look at this and say, well, Kent Theory hates party, parties. Kent Theory wants to see parties diminished or eliminated, and one way to do that would be to get rid of the caucus system and all that. What do you say to those people? Yeah, I think it's a fair observation when people look at what I've been involved with. And it's so ironic because I come from exactly the opposite spot. I believe in America's two-party system. Um, and it used to be 34 years ago that just about every citizen was in one party or the other. Now half of our citizens have decided they don't want to be in either one and we simply must harness the energy and the thoughts and the judgment of of those people. And and I feel, for, for example, let's talk about the Republicans, that they're building, trying to build, especially with this lawsuit on the open primary, they're trying to build higher and higher fences around smaller and smaller cities. So the way I look at it, I'm trying to save the parties, because when you've lost half of your customers – and now you're thinking of not even inviting them into the restaurant. Uh, that just doesn't work as a democracy. So I feel that, that in particular, the Republican Party has got a strategy that will lead it into oblivion, where it will be electorally almost irrelevant. That's not what I want. I want two strong, competitive, dynamic parties. Um, and they are the ones that are going down these paths where the far, far left and the far, far right have disproportionate power. They deserve proportionate power, absolutely, but not disproportionate power. And so that would be my response, that, boy, what I'm doing is actually strengthening the parties for the long term. One of the, the sayings that I think grew out of your earlier efforts that I was taken with was, it's not who wins, but who votes. That that resonates with me. I get that, Right. But this one feels more like this is about who wins than who votes. Uh, and is there an attempt here in part to moderate nominees and those who move on? And maybe when we talk about this other thing that you're contemplating doing, maybe that's a way to address that too. Maybe you should talk about that first in terms of the 
you know, the top four and the ranked choice. Well, maybe talk about that, and then we'll say, is this an effort to try to moderate candidates? But go ahead. Yeah, that's, a, again, a very thoughtful question, and I'll do my best to do it justice very concisely. That you know, Orrin Hatch was a very conservative senator from, I think, Utah in the United States yeah. Senate. Teddy Kennedy, very liberal senator from Massachusetts. Uh, so a very conservative person and very liberal. But they were two of the best legislators of their time because they recognized that in order to govern a country, you got to compromise and get certain things done to move the country forward. And you can't have everything you want unless you've earned through the election process such a dominant majority that you can't have almost anything you want. Uh, but that's rarely been the case, in at least at the federal level in America in the last hundred years. So it's not so much a question of having moderates, uh, because uh, Hatch and Kennedy were very conservative and very liberal, but it's having people who are willing to cross the aisle and govern. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's not a compromising of your principles. It's a principles compromise. That's what, that's what true legislators do, whether they're far left or far right or center left or center right or a pure centrist like myself. And so, and so it's not so much a matter of moderating candidates. It's creating a process where voters can hold elected officials accountable for actually getting constructive stuff done. That's what we need in the end. We need a world where senators and members of the House that are willing to get practical stuff done that reflects the will of the majority of the people, that's what we need. I don't care whether they're moderate or conservative or liberal. I care that they reflect the will of a majority of our people. In, in terms of getting that majority, and I do like the principle that we shouldn't be sending people to represent us who can't capture at least 50 percent of the vote. I, I do like that principle. Talk about how you try to achieve that with some of the other things you're thinking about putting on the ballot. Yeah, that, that third component is to introduce a system which would, I think, create an incredibly healthy dynamic overnight for voters who would have more voice and for elected representatives who want to govern and get stuff done. And the way it works is that you have an all-candidate primary ballot. One ballot, everybody's on it. The Democratic candidates, the Republicans, the Independents, the Libertarians, the Greens, uh, they're all on one ballot. That's that first principle. Every American voter should get to vote for whomever they want, independent of some artificial party. And parties, by the way, are never mentioned in the Constitution, voting rights and equal access and equal due process are all prominent in the Constitution. So step one is to have an all-candidate primary. So I can sit there and see, say, who I like most, and I don't have to do all Ds or all Rs or all Greens. I can pick which candidates I prefer as an American voter. And then we take the top four from those people. So it has good diversity, good blend, could have a far-left person and a center-left and a far-right and a center-right. So it reflects the, the diversity of our population. Those four move to the general election. And there you have the day of the election or the, the month of the election, I guess I should say, since we have mail-in ballots. And you rank whom you want, one, two, three, four. This is something everybody's very used to doing in normal life, saying, well, I... 
I really would like to have a steak, but my second choice would be to have chicken, whatever. We do this all the time. Um, and, and that way, if nobody gets 50% in the first round, let's say it's four people and there's a 35 and a 30 and a 25, whatever, uh, then you take the person who is in fourth place and you eliminate them and you move to their number two choice from those voters. And so in the second round, you know, George Brockler may very well win because he'll move from having 34% to 51% once you eliminate that fourth person. But in order to win, George Brockler has to think ahead and appeal to 51%, which naturally means, again, that this new system is going to reflect the will of a majority of the people not just whatever minority happened to have uh, amassed some power at any particular time. So an all-candidate primary, the top four advance, a general election where you rank the four, that's the solution that overnight creates all sorts of incentives for elected officials to actually get stuff done. We're talking with Kent Theory, who has made huge, uh, supported huge changes to the way we elect folks here and has a couple other ideas here that we've been discussing let me address the ranked choice voting one first one of the criticisms is way too complicated but but for me it's the idea that somebody who was nobody's first choice could end up winning is that possible with ranked choice voting it's uh it's possible uh, I've, I've never seen it and and this what we like to call instant runoff or majority wins voting as opposed to ranked choice voting, uh, is being used in a lot of different cities, counties, and some states across the country now. And I've, and I've never heard of that happening, but maybe theoretically it could. So I want to be analytically uh, honest about that. It, it's, a, it's a system. Oh, and by the way, on this understandability, which is what our opponents like to point to, yeah. this is being used in New York, very liberal place. It's being used in Alaska very conservative place. I can list other areas, Republican and Democratic. One of the consistent things across all of the the cities or counties or states where it's being used is that about 86% of voters say it was easy to understand and they like it. Uh, Here, even in our own state, and uh, it's it's been used in places uh, like Boulder and it's now being used in Fort Collins, people, so both liberal and conservative, People understand I'm it. I'm not and sure they anyone's like going to call Fort Collins conservative. I don't think anyone's <laughs> going to call that conservative anymore. <laughs> well, that's a fair point. Fair point. Um, but but the data is so clear from both uh, Republican and Democratic states. Voters understand it and they like it because it gives them more voice. Is there a way that this could be accomplished though without the ranked choice voting? And, and let me just postulate this right here. What about the idea that we just do that open primary if we were to go down this road? And you just take the top two, and then you give people a, an up or down vote on the top two vote getters, and then for sure you're going to get someone that's above 50%. And we don't have to engage in, well, I lost the first round, but I won the third round, and this, or whatever it is. You see what I'm saying? Like, why go for four? Why not just two? Or hell, why not three? Yeah, no, very legitimate points, as, as usual, and very well stated, as usual, by you. We actually believe that top two is way better than the current system uh, because because you have all these districts now that are dominantly R or they're dominantly D, uh, and the minority party doesn't have a chance. 
And so by having top two, you could have in a very conservative district, then the top two candidates are both Republicans. And now you're actually giving voters a choice, a real choice. Uh, and maybe one has a certain position on, on foreign policy and the other one has a different one. And so suddenly you create voter choice again. And so we believe that top two is better than the current system. The reason top four is better than top two in our, in our mind is because it does allow you to get that uh, a greater degree of diversity for the voters to choose from, that you could have someone from the far left and center left, you could have someone from the far right and center right. So every American feels like they've got uh, a horse in the race. Uh, and then the only winner that emerges from that four is one who gets an actual majority. So, so we think top two is good. We think top four is much better. It is, again, I, I know your position that you stated is, hey, I'm trying to save the party. In part, is your attempt to save the party, to save the party from what you view to be the extreme edges of it either way? And, and I ask that question in the context of this top two thing. You're right. You could have two Republicans, two Dems. And I think for people that are freaked out at the idea of, well, wait a minute, what if there's no Republicans on the general election ballot? I think the answer would be, well, yeah, but then you get a chance to vote for the less crazy liberal. And if you're on the left, you'd say you get a chance to vote for the less crazy R. But isn't that, again, a way to moderate the candidates that end up representing us? I, I think in many instances it would. And, uh, and again, not so much because the people are more moderate. It's because they're willing to govern, which by definition means you've got to be You've got, you've got to bring some open-mindedness into the negotiations with the other side. Uh, and so I think it ends up moderating policy because you get people who are willing to compromise to move the state forward. That's very different from, uh, from moderating people, which, which is not what I'm trying to do. Uh, you can, again, take far left and far right as long as they're being reasonable and they recognize that neither one can have it all their way. And they get in a room and sort out something that reflects the wishes of a majority of the citizens of the state. You know, that works just fine without having to worry about whether or not a person is moderate or not. This is fascinating stuff. I kept you much longer than I normally would, Kent. But I I think that these are things and I've heard of polling out there. I think that these are things if you put them on the ballot stand, a real chance of becoming law. So it's important we have a conversation about what they mean, pros and cons and all that. And I, I think you've acquitted yourself well on this. It's just a question of what's the right way forward. And I think most people would agree the current system, it's not ideal. <laughs> Whatever used to work, it isn't quite working out right now. And uh, maybe this is an answer towards getting better participation and, and, and in some cases better representation. I don't know. I just thank you so much for giving us some of your time. Well, no, thank you, George, for how seriously you take this and how thoughtful you are in, in provoking the discourse, because that's what a democracy is about, people listening to each other. And so I really appreciate you and your show. Is there a website that contains a lot of this stuff where people could go and check it out yet? I, oh, my gosh, I'm embarrassed. I'm not sure if it's up and running yet or not. We've been so consumed by the title board. There certainly will be, and I'll let you know. Yeah, thank you for doing that. Hey, uh, that's Kent Theory, Kent's former CEO of DeVita, but also a guy who has had a significant impact on how Colorado votes in the state of Colorado. Um, 
you cannot deny the impact that he's had. And if these things go through, and, and again, he says he doesn't know which ones they're going to offer up. If these things go through, another huge sea change in the way that we run for office, the way that we vote for office, and frankly, who's going to end up representing us after being elected. I would love to get your feedback on this at 303-696-1971. Text coming in, but call in. What do you think? you like any one or all of them? Are, I, are they all bad? I've had mixed texts already as I'm scanning through the many that have come in right now. Some are like, there's something bad going on here. We're tra- Others who are like, hey, this makes some sense. Some that are like, the assembly matters. Others that, what do you think about this? 303-696-1971. It's George Brockler. Oh, you know what? I almost did something crazy, and that's to cut away. Before I tell you about Twin Aspen Dental, got to do it quickly. I just got a text from a listener in the show sitting in Twin Aspen Dental saying they're getting ready to have their teeth worked on by Shiloh, who's the hygienist who's always been saddled with me, too. I love these folks. Twin Aspen Dental is doctors Richter and Snyder. They're easy to find. TwinAspenDentalCenter.com. TwinAspenDentalCenter.com. They are your neighborhood dentist. But they have all the state-of-the-art big boy stuff that all the big box stores have. They just have the personal touch, and they just actually care about you as more than a person to put in the chair. They can do all the dental implants, the bridges, the crowns, name it. They do it. The bread and butter, of course, is all of the regular twice-a-year cleaning and maintenance that goes on. That's what I use them for. I hope I don't have to use them for the other stuff. But if I did, I wouldn't bat an eye about going to them. Take that first step towards keeping your great smile and making it even better. You can give them a call at 303-841-7466. Make the appointment today, 303-841-7466, or check them out at TwinAspenDentalCenter.com. When we come back, you, me, this, George Brockler, 710, KNUS. George Brocker back with you here, 710 KNUS. My thanks to Kent Theory for an extended uh, interview about some stuff that, uh, folks, pay attention here because this stuff, some of this is going to, maybe all of it, is going to end up on your ballot in November. This is game-changing in terms of party politics, but also how we vote. And to sort of recap, and some of this stuff, by the way, I don't see how you disagree with this. One of the things is how we do the, uh, the vacancy process. 30 members of our of General Assembly, there's only 100 members in it, so that means 30% are selected by a handful of also unelected people and serve in office. That's garbage. That's not representative government. That's something else. I love the idea that we're going to force special elections for those elections so that at least you and I have a voice in who's going to um, – Who's going to represent us? I mean, as it is right now, you could get sworn in and leave office the next day, and some committee of people you can't name and can't have influence over could end up picking some other wingnut. Let's say his name rhymes with him, Hernandez, and he could end up representing you for the duration of the term and then use that platform as almost like an incumbent to run again for election. That's garbage. So I like that thing. I think I could support that one. The other ones, I'm anxious to get your input on at 303-696-1971. Is this right? Is this going to make a difference in terms of how we vote and who votes for that matter? He'd like to have an open primary, and that means Lottie Dottie, everybody shows up on the ballot that Lottie Dottie, everybody gets to vote on. Think about that. Your access to the ballot, you listener out there, you don't have to navigate the caucus anymore or win over the the grassroots assembly goers. 
What you have to do is petition to get on the ballot. That right there, the elimination of the caucus system, and that's coming up for Republicans and Dems. I think it's March. Maybe it's February. I I should probably know that. I've participated in caucuses, well, just about every, since I've been 18, almost every single caucus I can imagine being able to, I've participated in wherever I've lived. Now, I don't have the same dim view of them as being corrupt or dirty. I don't think that. But do I think that they're managed by the party, and that means who's in charge, and that only the the smallest group end up um, making those decisions? I do, but I also think we have an escape valve for that, and that is the the petition ability that candidates have in the ultimate primary. I'm not sold that going through the assembly is an unfair disadvantage to the person. I just think you see too many people who have petitioned on winning races to to think that, but I'm not sure that that's the right answer to this. I think to some extent the right answer to this is that um in the end in the end what we're trying to get is a representative who captures 50 plus percent of the support one way or the other. And the way to do that is to open this up to all voters. I just, I think that despite his interest in saving the party, I think it fundamentally changes the parties and maybe even kills them off in their current structure. What purpose would the party serve as a vetting vehicle? Like it wouldn't anymore. Like it really wouldn't vet. You could have Republican Party and the Democrat Party recruit candidates. You could have them run as a Republican. You could never tell them, no, you're not going to be on the ballot as a Republican. That would be a self-selected thing. Um, You could provide training. You could provide some grassroots support, I guess. You could have people vote based on, oh, I see the R next to their name. You know, that's probably another step. You want to get rid of parties, you would wipe away party affiliation on the ballot. Think about them apples. What if you didn't? Now, you could look it up, no doubt. There'd be advertising, no doubt. But think about all the voters who now knee-jerk vote based on party affiliation. That goes out the window. They'd be guessing. Very, very interesting stuff. The open primary, I want to think more about that. The top two piece, I can actually probably get behind the top two. I mean, does it make sense that voters in Denver, unaffiliated voters in Denver, only have the option, really, of voting for the Democrat or the Republican when, in fact, the Republican stands no chance ever. So whoever that extreme wingnut is that escapes the Democrat primary in Denver is going to end up being the representative. And that's true in Republican strongholds to El Paso, Douglas, Elbert, all that other stuff. At least you would have the opportunity as a Republican in Denver not to cast a throwaway vote for a Republican. And I'm not saying they're throwaway votes, but you get my point. They're not going to win, right? You'd at least get to vote for the less crazy Dem. If there is such a thing, you'd get to vote for that person, right? Maybe that has some merit to it. 303-696-1971. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I want to do something real quick, though. And that is to tell you about Gay Ribble with Empower Home Team at Keller Williams. Uh, uh, Gay, forgive me, I just got distracted by something that flashed across my screen. No, it was not porn. Um, Gay Ribble, we had her, I think, in studio last week. 
What a wizard. As this market starts to heat up again, and it is for sure going to heat up, you have to time whether you base your decision to start looking in the market to sell and to buy based on are the mortgage rates right? And what about the demand for this, these houses, which are increasingly scarce given the demand that's out there? Crazy. You don't have to do this by yourself. You don't have to flip a coin. You don't have to go to some YouTube channel where a guy says, I know the secret to buying. and say, don't, don't do that. Call up Gay Ribble and the Empower Home team of Keller Williams. They're the folks that can get it done for you the way they've done for so many others for decades now. And they've been putting people in the homes that they need, the homes that they want, getting out of the, the homes that just don't make sense for them anymore at top dollar. They sell quicker and for more money than others. They make the guarantee that they'll sell your house in the time and for the amount that you want, or they make it up to you with cash. 833-301-SOLD. 303-301-SOLD. Check out their Google reviews, too. I mean, like almost all five-star reviews. Impossible, you say? No, check them out. 833-301-SOLD. Or check them out at sellwithcertaintycolorado.com. Sellwithcertaintycolorado.com. When we come back, your calls, your text, George Brocker, 710 KNUS. George Brockler back with you here, 710-KNUS. Uh, lots of texts coming in here, too. Happy to have the conversation with you, 303-696-1970. Some strong opinions here about these proposals supported by Kent Theory that would fundamentally change the way we do elections and select our representatives for a whole host of offices from state legislature up. It doesn't sound like it impacts sheriff or county commissioner or municipal elections, just state. I presume that would be legislature, all the state races, Congress, U.S. Senate, uh, DA, AG, all those other big ones. There's also a way you can fundamentally change your appearance, dudes, and that is stop wearing the hats and doing the comb-overs and just giving up and going Geronimo and shaving your head. None of those are wrong options, but there is a better option, and that is to call our friend Dr. Tanya Pauls at Advanced Hair Restoration. Simple one-day treatment, calm, relaxed environment, most experienced professionals, they have been doing this in the metro area at a level the others wish they could achieve. There are dudes out there who have been the beneficiary of this treatment. You just don't know because nobody wears the tattoo or the T-shirt that says, I went to advanced hair restoration. But when you look at them, you know it. They look younger. They feel more confident, more spring in their step. Your own natural hair begins to regrow the very next day. Call them today and get $250 off and 250 free hair grafts. Free consultation, 720-459-HAIR, 720-459-HAIR, or you can check them out at advancedhair.com. That's advancedhair.com. Here's some of the texts that are coming in. Have to have parties. It's supposed to represent the candidate's core values, in quotes. I'm not sure what that means. I mean, what if we didn't have parties? I mean, back in the day, I, I totally get why we have them. I'm still a member of the Republican Party, have been my whole life. Um What's what's the downside of having folks running for office who haven't gone through the party process? I just don't know. Tell tell me. Tell me. Here's another one. George, while I've seen the caucus and assembly manipulation and corruption up close, I also see challenges with petition only. I'm volunteering with several candidates on collecting petition signatures, and grocery stores are telling us we can't stand in front of their stores. I just had surgery last month and can't walk door to door. Petitioning is going to be a challenge this cycle when they're not paying someone else to collect signatures. Yep, you're right about that. 
Theory's answer to this, Ken's theory, uh, Ken Theory's answer to this was, look, if you can't find 20 people to give you 20 hours, maybe it's a sign. Maybe you ought not be representing the rest of the broader community if you can't figure out a way to get 1,000 signatures. There's some truth to that. That makes some sense to me. Here's another one. Makes sense. Love it. From Suzanne. Another text. I'd love to hear comments by expert statisticians. <laughs> Just buttoned my way through that word. Concerning rank choice voting, it's a matter of mathematics in my mind. Yes, I do. I, I'm concerned about rank choice voting because, one, I don't want somebody who's the fourth favorite out of the uh, out of the initial primary to have a shot at representing me ever. I don't. That just doesn't make sense to me to extend it to four. Like, well, let's have another wingnut on there. We got plenty of wingnuts on the ballot to choose from. I'm not sure expanding it to four, maybe three. What's that, Bill? Did you just say 20 seconds? That's not enough time to continue this conversation. We'll have to do it at the 9 o'clock, but we're going to be joined by City Councilman Dustin Zavonik. They just bought a hotel. Aurora bought a hotel. What are they going to do with it? Stick around and find out. George Brockler, 710 KNUS. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 